You changed the instrument up on me. The tune was the same, but the instrument threw me off. I'm very not great. I told you I was taking lessons. <laughs> what? In new air instruments. Oh, that's tight. I have the do 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 doots. That's a that's a background singer, right? And I go, wow, wow, wow. And that's like an electric guitar. Oh my God, you've been taking air guitar lessons too. That's what's up. Yeah, totally. Uh, no, I've just been spending way too much time by myself over the last year. Um, if I know my neighbors can hear me and like every now and then they will hear me just like break out of I Okay, I've been... and you've, you're now saying this in front of a hundred of people right now <laughs> yeah, I think it's worse that they hear it that they're like hearing the confession that I'm doing it they're like what is he doing and then they hear the but you're also telling me someone who now has lost a significant amount of respect for you like that I like that's that's, that's terrible <laughs> do you can I can I be do you yeah. dance by yourself of course so I had never done that before the pandemic like, it was just this thing that I was like, I guess I just got to dance by myself now. And <laughs> people are like, always like, oh, dance like nobody's watching when you're at the club. Yes. Like, That's very sexual for me. Like, I'm like <laughs> humping the ottoman when I'm by myself. Of I'm course like, you. I see you. Look, you seem like a humper. I can I see that about you. Like in the eyes, you look like someone that's like humping things. I see like that. My hips do a lot of this when I'm dancing by myself. Uh, I'm going to need to see proof. Like, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't believe it's this dramatic. I'm so sorry, everyone watch. I'm so sorry. I'm, I apologize to everyone that had to see that. Well, but we're also people watching audio wise. Oh. That I just sexed it up real good. So if you're if you're listening, just if you're watching just with your ears, um, what happened just a moment ago is that Stephen very aggressively gyrated in the air. And what's the word? It So here, here, I'll describe it like this. If I ever eat poison, I'll think back to that memory to induce vomiting. Like, that's where it's at. <laughs> um, that's where I'm at there's it. a there's a very lucky lady named Ashley that. Um, <laughs> oh my god i'm or i'm texting with ashley right now apologizing to her <laughs> <laughs> we're texting right now i feel I'm, I'm like are you okay she is not safe just so you know she just texted me no i'm not safe um happy 420 everybody everybody watching on twitch happy uh, floyd day this is this is g this is g floyd day true we are yeah, so creating the verdict we are celebrating no. 420 um, it's just a day of celebration in general. That's why I be gyrating so much. You know what? Today, Stephen, gyrate at will. Oh. I, I, good on you. You know what? Pop that pussy. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's. I don't know what your situation is. You know, I don't know. He he might have that wop. We don't know. We don't know. Wet ass penis. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We don't know. No one knows. But we are also celebrating four twenty. You're right. We are. Um, so. In, in celebration of 420, who do we mm -hmm. have on today? Um, before we talk about who we have on today, can we talk about what is in me right now? I have so much weed inside of me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
illegal, but I'm kidding. It's not, but it's amazing. I feel so happy. Like I feel so peaceful right now. And I'm so excited to bring on the folks that we have today. It's from, so do you guys remember, I'm sure some of our viewer, viewers will remember, and I'm sure Steven, you definitely remember when I was in the hospital not too long ago and um, I, they put me on pain meds, like intravenous pain meds for like a week. And then I came home and I went through like withdrawals, like an addict would go through withdrawals because within that time frame, I physically became addicted to that medication. Right. And I was telling you that happened like five years ago and I really struggled with the detox. And this time, what did I tell you I did? You ate some edibles and you were Gucci. And I was Gucci. Yeah. I took the 50 milligram weed pill and it saved my life. Like all of the seas, my body wasn't seizing. I, wa- I didn't have the night, all of it. The night sweats gone. The chills gone. The sweating profusely gone. Like all of that was just gone. And I was able to function. Whereas the time before when that happened, I literally, I didn't see my daughter for a week because I didn't want her to see me like that. And I couldn't do anything. I was non-functional. So I got the idea because I'd seen a documentary about some guys that do this, that treat opioid addiction with high doses of THC. And so I found one of the guys that was in one of those documentaries, right? A gentleman by the name of Joe Schrank. And he currently works with a group called the Heavenly Center, the Heavenly Center, THC. And one of their directors is also here with us, a gentleman by the name of Nick Morgan. And so I am like, we get, we are so lucky. Is, so, okay, so Stephen and I are big fat nerds and our heroes are people like these guys. You know what I mean? Like you're, we don't really idolize like, I don't know, like, I don't know, Taylor I can't Swift. Name, or, I can't name any celebrity. Right. Stephen, Stephen didn't even know who Quincy Jones was. <laughs> That's a lot to unpack. I say that every time, but whatever. But guys like this, like Hawk Newsom, like these kind of dudes, like Nick Morgan and Joe Schrank, these are the people that like for us are heroes. So we're super stoked to have them on. Yeah. I mean, should we, usually we have a longer intro, but I feel like we're, we're talking, we're talking weed today. Let's. Yeah. Let's, I mean, I'm into it. Let's bring them on. Okay. Our guest today, Joe Schrank, Nick Morgan, everybody give him a round of applause. Bam, 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 bam. Gyration in celebration. <laughs> oh, we welcome guys. How are you? Great. How are you? Doing very well. Um, so right off the top, Joe or Nick, what is the Heavenly Center? Quick version, and then what is the what? Is, well, be, hold on, before we get there, tell us. I want to know who these guys are. Joe, who are you? <laughs> What's your like? Give us a little blurb about your backstory. Like, why? You know, how are you even here? Wow, um, my backstory. I'm a clinical social worker, which is I'm also a sober guy. So I've been sober very long time, longer than Nick's been alive. Maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> 25 years or so. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So I've worked in this, you know, addiction recovery for long periods of time and I've learned a lot over the years. And I guess that's one of the things that led me to this idea of cannabis as a recovery tool, which is not wildly popular. Like I've been saying it for a long time. It's still really hard for people to accept that because, you know, in America, drugs are bad never supposed to do drugs. And if you do, you're a horrible person. And then if you go down the road of needing help, the only thing that you can do is love Jesus and go to AA all day. Um, and, and short of that, you're not really in recovery. We um, do love our Jesus. We do. In America. 
Yes, we do. We love redemption. We love the Lord. Half of America thinks gay marriage causes hurricanes. So it doesn't. No, 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 it doesn't. Um, But, you know, as a social worker, I can't impose my recovery on other people. I have to present people with all of their options and I have to uh, respect their inherent human right to self-determine. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I think people can do is they can improve and they can improve in lots of different ways. At the Heavenly Center, you know, we see a population that has probably been in rehab a few times. Um, They're young, they're male. Uh, And I don't want to shock your audience, but that does not add up to great decision making. (gasps) Shut up! Being, being, and you know, and I'm not really talking shit between military service and fraternities and being a social worker and having two boys. I can safely say that the good decision is not the strong suit of the young adult male. Joe, I'm um, gonna. I'm the expert here on men. You've yeah. only had two boys. I've had so right. many boys. Um, okay. so, <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm the gonna agree. Being, yes, boys are dumb dubs. Go ahead. Oh my okay. god, they, they couldn't find the ass from third base. Like my my older boy is really really nerdy and smart, and he's he's about to start at Georgetown Medical School. Oh, amazing! The, yeah, no, he's done. He's done very well. The shit this kid does, it's like, wait, what? You, you, what did you do? Really, doctor? Okay. You know, I mean, it's, it's just kind of an amazing population, but I love them. They're my, they're my crew and they're, anyway, the point being is I think that there are lots and lots of ways that people get better, right? There's lots Great. of ways that recovery happens. Recovery is self-defined. If a 24-year-old comes into the Heavenly Center with infected injection sites and five stints in rehab, and we can help that individual become uh, a functioning member of society and a medicinal cannabis user. That's more than recovery. That's a triumph. If you absolutely, absolutely. yeah. And so, so the idea of well, and I hear it a lot, mostly from the recovery community. And I'm always accused of shit talking the recovery community and not being supportive of AA. And my response is, well, but I've done it for 25 years. I don't really know how much more uh, supportive I could be. Um, that's, not, <laughs> that's not my message. My message is not that that's a bad road. My message is that's not the only road. And one of the things I think is really, really, really helpful for a lot of people to get started or to progress in the recovery is cannabis. And one of the reasons that I love it for the population and for young people is because there is no lethal dose, right? So there's a big difference of turning somebody Which out. Which I can testify to because right? <laughs> I have tried. Hey, Joe, before we go too far down that road, I yeah, want to yeah, pop sure. over and hear from Nick. Nick, can you please? Yes, I um, didn't mean to. to uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, you're not. It's not Monopoly. It's just I want to make sure that we find I want to hear everyone's background and then start getting a little bit more to the meat. So, Nick Morgan, tell us your story. I, you're in recovery as well. I'm not going to tell your story, but tell us all about you. What's your background? I am. I am. Um, well, just to start with, I, I'm the director of outreach at the Heavenly Center. Um, my job is to you know spread the word about what we are doing at the Heavenly Center and more importantly, be able to find people and struggling individuals uh, a safe place to recover mm-hmm. um so whether that be the heavenly center or elsewhere um, i do whatever i can to help each person with whatever situation they're in 
Um, I've been in recovery uh, in June. I'll have six years. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I, I appreciate yeah. it. Um, it's been a long road, and I've been working um, in the substance abuse field for about five years now. Um, I had about nine months, and I started as a behavioral health technician. Um, and before that, I started at a Little Caesars for $8.10 an hour. That's what's up. Worked at a, a hot dog place, took two buses to work, two buses home from work, you know, and, and kind of started at the bottom. And, um, you know, a couple rehab centers later and um, some some knowledge from banging my head up against that wall. I, I started working in the industry, like I said, as a, a behavioral health technician. And then um, I was a housing director for a bit. And the last three years I've been doing doing outreach around the country, traveling and speaking. I've spoken schools and prisons and jails and churches and conferences and, and really just sharing my story and, um, you know, hoping to inspire other people to to get their shit together. Yeah. What is your story, Nick? Can you can do you mind sharing a little bit about? Yeah, that? yeah. I'll, I'll try to keep it keep it keep it short. But uh, you know, I, I was adopted into a great family. Um, my dad's uh, an orthopedic surgeon. My mom is a, a registered nurse. Had a great family growing up. Um, just latched on to the people that were doing dumb shit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, people. If there was something they were doing something wrong, like I wanted to pardon. You know, yeah. um, that's just that's how my my brain worked. And, you know, I just did that. And I, I actually started smoking weed and drinking alcohol at like 12 years old, um, oh, wow. trying to trying to get messed up. You know what I'm saying? Like I was trying I knew what I was trying to do. And um, it progressed, man, and got out of control to where my parents couldn't get a get a hold on me. I uh, got sent to a boot camp when I was younger, um, you know kicked out of dad's house, kicked out of mom's house, you know, that, that whole thing. And, um, ended up losing my best friend in July of 2014 from a heroin overdose and started going to rehab shortly after that, um, after I demolished myself and five rehabs later, um, I decided that I, I wanted to help people, man. I wanted to get my, my, my shit together. And I found that connecting with other men, um, and women that struggled just like me, um, I, I found this like sense of connection and being able to get through to other individuals that struggle. And it's really just taken, taken me to a whole nother level, level in my life and my career, you know? So today I'm in, in LA and, you know, I've been out here about a year and being a part of something extremely special and, and different, um, with the heavenly center that, uh, it's cool, man. Um, I'm grateful today. And if you ask me like almost six years ago, if I'd be, you know, where I'm at today, I tell you, you're crazy, man. Like I, I literally got to a point where I was sleeping under a bridge, you know, oh, wow. um, one pair of shoes, two pairs of clothes. And, uh, you know, I love my life today. And I just want to help other people and, and spread a message of hope. We love to see it. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I came from, so where, where in the LA area are you from Nick? Well, I, I just moved to LA, um, about a year ago. Um, yeah, a little bit over a year ago, but uh, where we, I live in Sherman Oaks, gotcha. um, but our, our treatment center is actually in Studio City. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I grew up in Simi Valley. I don't know if you know Simi Valley. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure, sure you, out there. You, you probably, you probably get some uh, patients or, <laughs> from, from Simi. It's, um, we, You're like ninety percent of your clientele is coming from Simi Valley. Yeah. They're all from Simi Valley. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, I think it, in 2012, 2013, we had like most 
uh, overdoses per capita of any city in the country. I, Jesus. I um, yeah. But it's, we, I was very lucky to get out, right? That I, my parents forced me to go to college. I was really- Those assholes. I know, I know. But I was really going down the path of, um, you know, my peak of using Coke was when I was at 16 and yeah. everybody started really getting into pills right as I was leaving. And by the time I came back for the first Thanksgiving break, um, I think the first heroin overdose was that week. Um, but then it just started really snowballing. And I think back home, it's like 23 friends have uh, passed away, most of them heroin. Um, so insane. Yeah. and but so insane. There's, I'm wondering if there's still a similar thing. Like, so one of my friends, when he passed away, his mom understandably really didn't handle it very well. And she started doing like vigilante undercover work for the LAPD that they didn't ask her to do. And what? so, yeah, so she- That sounds had, insane. There's a, there's a spot in the Valley and I don't know if it's still there, but it's literally just a brick building where there's a guy in a lab coat that sits at a desk and there's a line that rounds the block and you go in there and you're just like, give me this many Oxy, give me this many Roxy, et cetera, et cetera. And he just signs it, signs a prescription. The prescription's right next door. They get it filled. Boom. No. <laughs> yeah. And so. No. Yeah. Um, and so, but she <laughs> went to the LAPD and was like, uh, yo, I, she went in there with a camera on. Like, she's not, is she, again, understandably, but she, really was going uh you know the kind of stuff where you got a bulletin board with red yarn going every which way she was she was in there but um one of the things that was really wild about it was the feds were there and they watched it but they were always scared that if they knocked off those doctors then heroin is everybody's like obvious choice um oh wow so they were let kind of letting him run that yeah Pill mill? Yeah. Um, Bananas! This, this is so insane. Yeah, well, and then, but the other thing that, like, a lot of my friends that went to abstinence type, um, sure, a, a lot of my friends that have, uh, went to abstinence type rehab, they, the recidivism was, was huge, right? And there was also, like, a really big issue with, and this part, I is just kind of anecdotal where some of these rehab facilities, there would be like dealers that would prey on understanding like who was going into these rehab centers. Um, and I, I guess it, I'm just kind of talking, but at the same time, I'm wondering if that a lot of these abstinence um, related centers, does it, does it seem like, it, it seems like some of them that it, that their business model is almost hoping for recidivism. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I, I don't need you guys to go into like, yeah, this place right here over on Sherman way. Uh, don't, don't Unless go. you want to, because Steven's blowing my high right now. He's so yeah. long winded right this minute. I'm going to fucking yeah. kick him in his ball. No, no, you're, 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 you're go for it, Joe. 
Yeah. Well, look, I mean, there's a lot to unpack in all of those statements. The first thing that kind of jumped out with me with what you were talking about is that criminalizing drug use is actually the least effective way to deal with it. Sure. So in other words, you know, a vigilante soccer mom who has a clandestine uh, operation with the LAPD is a red herring of misplaced effort. Sure. The, the, the best drug policy in the world is Portugal and they've decriminalized everything. So in other words, if you're using in Portugal, you meet with a social worker and a doctor and, if, and they go over some options for you. There may be a fine, but you are not entangled in the judicial system. It is handled by the health ministry in Portugal. Oh, so wow. the result of that after like 10 years, overdoses happen in Portugal, but they're pretty rare. So there's maybe wow. 10 a year in the country instead what? of... Yeah, no, they're very really? rare there. And one of the reasons is because they have made drug use safer and that and that seems to help people engage in process of recovery when they're ready to do that. So it's much, much better for people to handle uh, drug use as a health issue rather than like the whole idea of arresting people. It doesn't really go anywhere or um, and it's kind of ironic that Simi Valley must have the highest concentration of LAPD officers in the entire LA County, and yeah. yet they still have the greatest heroin problem. Oh, yeah. did, did, is that escaped anybody? In yeah. terms of the rehab business, it is a it is a fifty million dollar a year annual business. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the profit margin is based on the recidivism and the failure. So it's a it's like the diet industry, right? Yeah. So the money is going to come when people fail. Um, And one of the things that I've taken a lot of shit for with this abstinence only can't be the only thing that we're offering people is, um, um, you know, that idea that, well, if they smoke weed, they'll go back to their drug of choice. And my argument is uh, abstinence works three to 5% of the time. So is it abstinence that's bringing them back to their drug of choice? (laughs) You know, we don't, you know, we don't exactly know. What we do know is that we don't deal with this policy very well. Um, we don't deal with drug use in America very well. Um, that it is your right as an American to have a gun and to be drunk cheaply. And yet <laughs> cannabis users are vilified, even though they're making a better choice. They should actually be celebrated that they're using a substance that's safer than alcohol. So it doesn't, none of this makes any sense at all. I mean, you're all young, your generation, I hope does a better uh, job of this than my generation. And I don't know if you do, do any of you remember AIDS? Like when people, people, (laughs) we don't remember the peak of it, but in the peak of the AIDS crisis. And I was a kid from, from, you know, I mean, look, it was, it was kind of viewed as an urban thing, but people knew people who were dropping dead of this mysterious virus. And the only thing that they were saying and the only solution that they were offering was abstinence. And that didn't go anywhere to right. stop the transmission of disease. What did was condoms, clean needle exchanges. So harm reduction and health practice is what stopped the transmission of AIDS. And it is my belief that that is what will help us with the opiate crisis and with drug use in general. So I think cannabis is the condom of the opiate crisis. Um, you know, which I say that a lot. People are like, Hmm, is it? Okay. And I'm a vagina. Cause I love having it in me. Is that right? No, I think I, I don't think I did that right. Never mind. Move on. Ignore me. But the other, 
Hey, know, I mean, that, that, that um, we do have options and we can make this better. We're not going to make it better. And I'm sure that this woman, this is a manifestation of her grief and her loss and feeling the need to try to do something. But America has always been focused on supply side control of drug use and it does not work. Yeah. That's why we have um, situations like George Floyd and mm-hmm. other situations like the racism in the streets of America with policing. That's why we have a border crisis, right? We're not going to get a handle on the border crisis unless we get a handle on the drug war. And so I think we need to think about this all, you know, in a much, much different way. Um, and also offer cannabis on the front end. Like, um, you know, Frankie, you, you reference that you were given, I don't know, Dilaudid. I don't know what you were given to control. It was morphine, or- morphine and Dilaudid on a okay, trip, so, on a trip that know, I controlled myself. Correct. That's a big can of worms. And I'm a social worker. I'm not Dude. a doctor. And I think doctors should give medical advice. But one of the things that a doctor could have said to you was, let's try to control pain with cannabis. It's yep. safer. There's no withdrawal when you stop. Yep. Rather than what states do now, which is say, well... If they're if they have stage four cancer and they're almost dead, then they can use cannabis. It's like, well, but why do they have to wait till they're dead? Dead, right? Exactly. They use it because and and my mother is eighty and she's found great success in managing arthritis pain with cannabis. And so I think that there's a lot of um, applications for the stuff that. And the reason that they don't like my mom doesn't she doesn't bring a, a bong to bridge or anything. It's not like that. It's not like, you know, a bunch of old ladies. Um, that would be called bong. goals. Yeah. That's called goals. Like I want to be 80 years old at bridge with a motherfucking bomb. Like what, Bridget? If you don't shut the fuck up, Gertrude, well, yes, right. I'm going to smoke during this whole game. <laughs> right, but they, and maybe they'll get there because believe me, they they were not shy with uh, martinis. So yeah, I don't know. Right. They, they're better off with a, with a bong and an Uber app. How about but that? How about we I, just get everybody home safely? Can I ask Joe? So the conversation of uh, deregulating all drugs. Yeah. It, it's one that like I see the other side, some of it, right? Like, and so so just for some clarification, I, I have a couple questions about it, like what a world where it is deregulated looks like. Um you said that overdoses plummeted. So yeah. most of my friends, the majority of them that overdosed and died, they got clean. They got back into it at the same rate that they, you know, they, they uh, shot up as much as they would have before rehab that shocked the system. They died. Um, other ones, yeah. other ones had, had, and my, my, my heroin terminology is not incredible, but they had tainted shit. Right. And so that was how a lot of I think that's the legal technical term. Yeah, yeah. That is. That's the scientific. um, Yeah, it's it's Latin. Shit is. Yeah. And so so what does and and forgive me for being dense, but what does deregulation? Why is there a correlation with that rapid of a decline in overdoses? Look, it's not popular to say, um, but. Uh, and if you read Dr. Carl Hart, who's a professor at Columbia, and he has a book out called Drug Use for, for Grownups, it is not popular to say. The truth is, if there were a safe supply chain of opiates and a safe supply chain of heroin, it's probably safer than alcohol, right? So the thing that takes people down is the cut. It's what it's cut with. And, and I love, and you know, I love, I love 
drug users and I love drug addicts, but they all, you know, they come into treatment and Nick will attest to this. Oh, I'm gluten intolerant. You know, while they're exhaling uh, Newport smoke at you and oh, no, they can't possibly take that medication or they no no, they can't do that. And it's like, but you injected something that was smuggled up somebody's ass across the border. You know, so really. So what we're talking about is deep in someone's butthole. I just want to. Yes, that is true. So what we're talking about with safer drug use it doesn't mean that there wouldn't be a lethal point of ingestion with heroin there's a lethal point of alcohol at the moment right in your age group there are 1800 um young adults a year who who drink to you know they go out to whatever they're doing a bachelor party you know with the shots and all of that so there are 1800 deaths a year right but you can wow, still I didn't safely... even know it was that high that's crazy. oh it's high yeah it's really high you can still safely go to the liquor store and buy. So it gets to be this big, huge issue of what is the government's role? I mean, I always laugh when conservatives talk about how they want government out of your life. And, um, and uh, that's the nanny state. But they want to lord over your uterus and tell you what you can drink and tell you what you can smoke and, you know, and all those kinds of issues. So what I think it is. Stephen, is I think that it's a matter of the role and purpose of like drug use to me is a health issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it is a health issue one way or another. So, so using drugs is a health decision. Not using drugs uh, is a health decision. You know, maintaining not using drugs, all of those things are health practices with therapeutic interventions or I mean, the same way weight loss or any other, any other chronic health problem. So it actually doesn't have any place with the police in it. To me, it's like, you know, and I was a little, and I'm always pissy with a lot of people, but I was a little pissy with the Biden administration because the woman that they named for the national, the office of national drug control policy, which is like the head honcho of drug policy in America is not a doctor. She's not a psychologist. She's a lawyer. Um, And it's just bad messaging. You need a lawyer when you've committed a crime, when you have a health problem, you don't look for a law firm. Right. right? So, so I'm 52, um, overweight. Um, you know, I have to manage my blood pressure. I don't call a lawyer to do that. (laughs) Like, it's just a matter of how we think about this stuff. And so I think that the Portuguese model, and actually it's not just Portugal, it's France, um, uh, um, Canada is better than at it than we are, you know, uh, Switzerland. So lots of countries do that and they have much better outcomes than we do. They don't have bulging prisons with young black and brown men. They don't have an overdose. They're not dropping bodies in Simi Valley. You know, they're not doing a lot of the things that, that we are here. But so. also too, want to go back to something you had said earlier. Um, I can't remember a hundred percent what that was um, because I am very high, but I remember what my point was, and that's this. Um, When I I told you guys, I don't remember if I did it during this episode, but I experienced a very teeny little glimpse of what opioid addiction is like, um, being sick in the hospital and having to get intravenous pain medicine. Uh, And that was, this happened twice in my life. The first time was five years ago. And when I came home, I was withdrawing from the opioids and didn't know it because I had never experienced that before. So I called my doctor because I was like shaking. My body was seizing up. I was sweating profusely. And I just felt like my bones were breaking. Like I just felt God awful. So I call my doctor and I say, hey, and explain to him my symptoms. And I said, I don't understand what's going on. And he says to me, 
did you fill your Dilaudid prescription? Now, he had let me leave the hospital with a prescription for like 50, 60 Dilaudid. That's insane. That is irresponsible. And I said, no, um, I don't want to take pain medication now that I'm home. He said, well, without explaining anything, he said, well, go fill that prescription and take it like as it's recommended. And that feeling will go away. He doesn't say to me, oh, hey, your body is physically addicted to that medication now. Here are some other ways to wean yourself off of it. Our, our health system's broken. You know what I mean? So we're never going to be on a page where we can say, admit that weed is a great medicinal, has great medicinal uses for people with drug addiction. And I think and so, that was concise. I think that I was concise. Point. Shout out to Frankie for oh, sticking yes. landing, baby. Um, so, so moving towards cannabis as a solution or as an alternative, um, what is it about consuming cannabis that helps wean people off? I guess wean people off isn't even the right terminology, but that lowers the, um, desire to do other illicit substances. You want to field this one, Nick? Yeah. So, you know, as far as, and I, I can speak for myself, I'm, I'm a, I'm a cannabis user. I'm a cannabis advocate. Um, I'm someone in recovery that uses cannabis a part of my, as a part of my recovery. And, you know, I think that, you know, again, how Joe explained where, you know, we have a lot of guys that have been through 10, 20 treatment centers. You know what I mean? I'm talking like they've spent most of their, you know, the last like five, six years of their life in and out of programs. And, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, them, you know, a lot of them relapse on opiates, you know, as far as that goes, but as far as um, cannabis being something to replace that it's, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, with medicated assisted treatment at all, Um, which is, you know, suboxone maintenance or, or buprenorphine or, or methadone. I'm sure you guys Mm -hmm. have heard of those. Yeah. Um, where suboxone, you know, really like it, it, it triggers your opioid receptors to make you think that, you know, you're, you're high on fentanyl or heroin or whatever it is, but it's still triggering those opioid receptors to where it feels similar, but it has like an opiate blocker on it. Right. So you're still high in a sense, um, but you can't die. So it's a harm reduction standpoint. And I think that for a lot of people um, where that fails is the, the withdrawals from that, right? The withdrawals from heroin, the withdrawals from, from Suboxone, even being on a maintenance is really what makes someone go back to that stuff, right? Where if we can take someone that just cannot do absence, right? It's just, they've tried every which way up around beside under recovery um, where they can come and yes, use it medicinally for, for all the medical purposes it has from anxiety um, to yeah. pain and, and things like that. But sometimes it even goes, it goes beyond that. You know, it's, it's uh, a, a substance that someone can use um, in a very positive way um, to be able to, you know, almost even like get out of themselves in a way, right? Um, whereas before they'd want to go run and use heroin you know, where they, they don't have to feel any emotion and, and they can go on this vicious run where instead of like in, injecting yourself with heroin, man, like what happens to you? Look at you right now. You're chilling. You can barely open your eyes. You're so high. You know what I'm saying? Like you're at peace, like you said earlier, you know? So instead of 
them running out there like I, I need something, which again, I'm that addict that's like throw whatever it is on the table. When that obsession is there mentally, it's there. I don't care what you throw on the table. I want something, sure. you know, um, and it, it, it is a harm reduction standpoint to where if they run to that something and it's this like it's healing. You know what I mean? It's not going to kill them. They're going to wake up tomorrow and feel fine. They're not going to wake right. up trying to find their bottle of pills or, or trying to hit up their dealer. You know what I mean? Right. Like yeah. it's just, it, it, it's, we've seen so much um, progress in, in all of these men, man, in this program and being able to use cannabis where a lot of people have it in their head where cannabis is supposed to just make you slump and lazy. You know, like we get down to the nitty gritty where like, okay, uh, do you prefer an indica during the day? Do you want a hybrid during the day? Because, you know, it has a little sativa in it and you're not going to be slump all day. You can still get your things done. Like we're really... Um, oh, that's interesting. Really, you guys put together like uh, yeah, regiments yeah. for people that need to do certain things. So, yeah, so the, they, they meet. Go ahead, Joe. Oh, sorry. The ideal situation is that it's medicalized. So everybody's a little different. So, so a medical protocol from a doctor following a recommendation is the best case scenario, um, you know, to be sure. One of the things I think is important to mention is that cannabis is federally illegal in America, right? So it is still, and there are lots of healthcare systems where we could be getting better information, one of them being the VA. There's a massive VA here on Wilshire Boulevard with thousands of vets they can't be studied because they can't have a recommendation from the VA to utilize cannabis. They can have pills, they can have a gun and they can have vodka. They can't have a joint. So none of that makes any sense. So until we federally legalize cannabis and when that day comes, we can unleash research talks at Cal, at Stanford, at UCLA, and we can give you more accurate information about why cannabis could scientifically and medically be a replacement for opiate use for some people. At the moment, what we have is a lot of anecdotal information. Some of it's a little fleshed out. We do know that people in California, and it's been medical here in California for 25 years, since 1996. So we know that people with a medical card report significant reduction or elimination of alcohol. Um, that's already a better option, sure. right? So we know that there's potential and it, and when people say it, because I get that a lot, there's no research for that, man. And it's like, yeah, your issues with the U.S. government. It's not with the research nerd. I read all I read more scholarly journals than anyone, you know. So, um, you know, the best research comes out of Israel. And so we are sort of learning more and more and more about the efficacy of the stuff in a realistic way. What Nick is describing is actually great information. We know we know the um, anecdotal outcomes of our population, which is a small sampling, hasn't been around, you know, it hasn't been 10 years with thousands of people. But we know um, we know that there are there are young adults who are doing well with the protocol. And they are becoming part of society, they are rejoining their families, they are clearing up court cases, they are gaining employment. And so that's one of the things that I think that we have an opportunity to do with this particular kind of thing is to broaden the idea of success and recovery, right? So, so the AA purist is going to say, he's not sober. And the social worker and me is going to say, yeah, he's not in jail. He's employed. He's alive. <laughs> like, yeah, right. like, mm-hmm. like there are all these other really great things that are happening. Let's not, let's not focus on 
what makes you comfortable or feel good about yourself. So, um, you know, I think that, that, I don't know. I mean, I've got, I've got a lot of, a friend of mine and you should have her on here. I'll, I'll put you in touch with her. She's a professor at Berkeley. Her name's Amanda Ryman and she's done the best research and as far as she can, because it gets to be really sticky with federal uh, national Institute of health. You know, the NIH monies get to be really sticky when you start talking about cannabis. Yeah. They start to get like, Oh my God, that's illegal. Right. So it's, it's a hard thing to say, you know, um, and then you're like, but look, yeah. NIH, I've been high this whole time. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> no. Oh. Right. But there's Whatever. also like, is it really that hard to figure out? We know that withdrawal and you know this um, now that you've experienced it, that cannabis can help uh, soften the symptoms and the of, of withdrawal. So in other words, life changing, sweating, life changing, uh, vomiting, uh, insomnia, yeah. all of those things can be helped and softened, which is actually really helpful for people to get through a detox yeah. it's not a hindrance and so yeah. i th- i don't know i think they should give out weed in every detox in america one so i just wanted to say one thing for everybody that's listening um if you get your second covid shot um i was down for the count horrible migraine the worst migraine that i've ever had in my life ate an edible and i was right as rain within like 40 really yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what the science is behind that one, but, uh, <laughs> but it, was, it was night and day. Like I, I, Look, I, this, I mean, you know, the science is you took a, you, I mean, and the other thing that people don't realize there are 500 people a year who overdose on Tylenol. Really? So you did something that's safer than Tylenol. Sure. Yeah. Right. Can you, can you guys tell us, I want to know the story of the heavenly center. There are some very interesting folks involved with this. Um, you guys are doing some like incredible, like, I'm like, I wish I was an addict in LA because I want to go. Because you want to come hang out. I'm so sick. You know I want to go, go make a record in the studio. Like, what the fuck? Right. Like, why am I not? Yeah. Scott, wait, hold on yeah. a second. I'm making a plea to Scott Storch. Scott, <laughs> if you ever <laughs> hear this, I'm hilarious and amazing. And I have an incredible singing voice. Steven is shaking his head. Wait, yes, but Frankie, because... are you in, are you in New York or are you in LA? Because you have a three one zero, like I do. Oh, I well, I was in LA. I used I was in LA. Um, okay. The the pandemic brought me back east because my husband okay. and daughter were here, and I was gotcha. out there living my dreams, being a whore. It was amazing. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, yeah, yeah, you can make a whore a housewife. All you need is a pandemic. And so then, yeah, I came back. Well, look, when you're in L.A., you're more than welcome to join any of that. I'm like the, um, you know, I'm like the uh, the mascot dad who doesn't understand rap. I'm always like, I'm like, huh? I don't know. Are you a rapist? Okay, boys, have fun. I gotta go. You know, I don't get it. But look, I think it's a it's a really great thing. And and Nick can tell you about that. What I can tell you briefly is that. You know, I was in Brooklyn for many years and I had a sober living, a transitional program. And I've done a bunch of different things in media about addiction and recovery. And I came here for this reason. I started the treatment center because I had this up my ass that we could help people in recovery that were not getting help. Right. I was not trying to poach people out of abstinence. I was trying to expand the fence. So that was the first attempt at that was successful, but not. I'm not a business person. I can't, you know, I can't do it. And so yeah. this has been really great because the Heavenly Center picked up that ball and ran with it and they're solid. They understand the the business and the insurance and so on and so forth. But Nick, tell them about the 
tell them about them. Yeah. I keep asking if they know the clash or the Jesus and Mary chain and they're all like, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, as far as the heavenly center goes, um, we, uh, the, the majority owner, his name's Frank Sid. He's been, um, you know, he's had treatment centers for about 14 years now, um, started in South Florida and kind of made his way uh, nationally with abstinence-based programs. And he saw, um, you know, actually heard of Joe Strank <laughs> a long time ago um, and uh, about, you know, Joe Strank's treatment center and, and the cannabis. And, you know, it kind of started to put ideas in his head, you know, over the years. And he actually is, Frank said his best friends with Steve Lobel, um, which is Scott, Scott Storch's uh, manager. He managed uh, Nipsey Hustle and Bone Thugs and Harmony and and all a bunch of other guys back in back in the day. I guess I mean I'm 28. I can't really say back in the day, but you know uh, back in one of those days. <laughs> yeah. So he um, and then obviously and then we can get to Scott Storch. You know Scott is somebody that uh, demolished his career over um, uh, a four year period. He blew 100 million dollars in four years. Um, on cocaine and, and alcohol and yeah can you say that again Nick? can you say that again that's a hundred million dollars in four years okay i just came all right go ahead finish yeah. that's yeah, so. insanity okay yeah go ahead. so he he demolished his life and he found recovery through cannabis and, and spirituality and you know um again steve managing him uh was in touch with with frank and they came up with the concept of of the heavenly center and and being able to, to, you know, utilize cannabis and, and help people that struggle with, you know, opioid use or whatever drug addiction or alcoholism, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, it's been, again, he's been in the industry for about 14 years. So, you know, he's very experienced when it comes to the, the operations and things like that. Um, so it, it's been, it's been something truly amazing. And we've gone from, you know, through, through the pandemic and fighting to, you know, get all the licenses and things like that. And, um, you know, just kind of like through that whole war the last year, um, we've been able to create something truly amazing with, with some amazing uh, people on board and getting to, to witness people getting their lives back, man, you know, getting their families and, and their kids back. And, and like Joe said, I getting jobs and, and being successful. So it's, it's cool. How do you guys sit comparatively to like, I, I know that there's a wide range of different centers that preach abstinence, but like, do you have any sort of like figures as to like what your success rates look like comparatively or? No, I mean, I, I think that, you know, like he, like Joe said, man, the, the, the number is, you know, three to 5% success rate. Um, I can tell you that typically you have a lot not a lot, but you have quite a few people that relapse when they get to that sober living outpatient level of care, which what we are, um, you, you typically have a lot of people that end up using, you know, and then they have to go back through treatment again. It's, it's a lot of people's story. Um, and in almost the year that we've been open, we've had two of those. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. That's really incredible. It's a, um, it is one of the most compelling pieces of this that I'm interested in. And so we're, we're trying to, you know, we're sort of in negotiations with the UCLA. Um, they have, um, they have a cannabis research. And one of the things I want them to find out is to really dig in and to quantify that 
part of the problem, Stephen, with defiant with with uh, uh, giving a metric of success is nobody can really agree what success is. Mm. So, in other words, most treatment centers, and there are thousands of them in America, they'll say success is a clean urine screen. Right? right. Pee in the cup. Oh, there's no drugs. Okay. I say success is civic involvement, um, help, you know, improving your family relations, uh, going back to school, starting a business. Like there's lots of ways to measure success. And so I think that's one of the things. Um, But I want to expand the definition of success way beyond clean or dirty urine screen. Right. It can't just be that. It's got to be a bunch of other things. I, you know, whenever, and this started for me, and there's a guy, you can talk to this guy too. He's a, he's a psychiatrist in New York city that I've worked with for many years. And he was the one that kind of put this idea in my head because we would, we ran this outpatient program and, you know, we would get all the urine screen lab reports back. And when I would, I would be like, Oh, THC. And he would say, it's not heroin. It's not amphetamine. Yeah. It's not alcohol. It's not a lot of things. Are they, are they still going to school? Oh, they are. Oh, they're still going. Okay. Well, you know, so he had this, you know, he wasn't a, um, he wasn't really a person from the recovery culture. He was a person of science and a person of medicine. And so that was really educational for me because, you know, I started to think, yeah, yeah, we can't just say, and it's so culturally, like the mandate of total abstinence. No, you must be sober. That's what I want. That's not treatment. That's gay conversion therapy, right? right? That's not really. That's not really a fair thing. It's like, what do we really? And and recovery and rehab is maybe the one area of healthcare where the person who is being treated has absolutely no voice in their care. Yeah, this, right. that may be the funniest thing anyone has ever said on this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's, that's what it is. I mean, it's like therapy. hundred percent. It is. It's like it's like one hundred. I mean, we're gonna pray away the gay. We're gonna, we're gonna pray get, it away. Oh, well, gonna, right, but the truth is, America, we <laughs> consume more drugs than any other industrialized nation. Why are we so judgmental about it? Someone is ingesting the drugs. Sure. All of us are. We're just everyone's are we, pretending who are not we to, to judge. Why are we judging drug users? Why is that exactly. the worst possible thing you can be in America as a drug user? You know, I think it's more like, well, let's talk about your drug use. Can we make it safer? Are you ready to give up certain things? Do you want to go down the abstinence only road rather than what people are told, which is so dehumanizing. You're a piece of shit and your brain's defective and you can't do anything and you have to listen to me and you have to go to AA now. You know, to me, it's like, that's not a therapeutic alliance. It's not. And when people say that to me, I just go, your mom. And that usually (laughs) ends, usually ends the argument. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I think one of the other things, though, is you guys are giving people back their dignity. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and I say that in, in the sense of just that minimal experience that I had. I know, and I wasn't, you know, using it recreationally, but I still felt bad that I was so weak. In my mind, my brain said, look how weak you are. You need this medicine now. Do you get what I'm saying? And then having the power to take that weed pill and feel better. I was like back in control. Like it was a really incredible feeling. And I can't imagine what someone feels like who's been on heroin or opioids for years. 
and just feeling totally out of control. And every time they want to quit, try to quit. It's so fucking painful, physically painful, mentally painful that they can't. They relapse. You know what I mean? Like that cycle makes so much sense in my brain because who wants to feel like that? No one wants to feel like that. That detox is horrific. And so having that transition to THC and then to some semblance of sobriety where you can utilize THC to manage anxiety and cravings and things like that later, that's control. Like that's taking back your life. And that's really powerful. Great. Weed makes you say some deep shit, man. This is dope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you guys find, so we've been talking a lot about opioids and and pills and stuff like that. Do you find that this path works for people just as effectively that uppers were their drug of choice? Like crack and meth? I don't, right. I don't think that I don't think that someone's just uh, me personally again like I, there's no I'm not a doctor or anything like that but I think personally um that it, it doesn't matter what your drug of choice was or whatever your weapon of choice was you know what I like to say um you know I, I it's just how the one thing that is different is how people respond to cannabis you know, um, everyone's different. Some people can use cannabis and it's the best thing that ever happened to them in their entire life. And then someone can use cannabis and call the ambulance on themselves because they think they're dying. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, you know, it's just, it's all, everyone's different and it's just like recovery. There's different paths to recovery. Everyone's a different person. Um, you know, so it just all depends. It really depends on the person. I don't think it has anything to do with what their drug of choice was. And no judgment on those that call the police on themselves, because those are some of the most hilarious 911 calls you'll ever yeah, hear played back yeah, in your life. Yeah, like, it's yeah, good sure. content. I had, I had one time where I ate two little cookies. That, like, you know, you know the game. It's one of these things, so you think that that's something you can snack on. <laughs> no, it isn't. You're going to die. Uh, and so <laughs> I was dating somebody at the time and TV's on and this very like attractive girls on the TV. And I was like, wow, she's hot. And then immediately was so high that I was like, oh my, you fucking monster. You have a girlfriend. Like how, <laughs> how dare you even, you monster to the point yeah. that I had to walk around the block by myself two times to like cool down. Just like, Okay, you're a good person. You're okay. <laughs> yeah, been, it, that's and a lot of people do that. It, it, and that's about finding your place, man. And like a lot, cannabis does make people future trip a lot, right? Sure. Like, what if they find out? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're driving your car and like looking in the mirror, like, is there a cop? You know, like, right. I thought that my it, leg. It I thought my legs had turned into crab legs once. I don't know what I that never got is. That. I never got that. Everyone <laughs> talks about how they couldn't feel their legs at one point, And like, I never went. Oh, no, that. I could. No, Nick, you're misunderstanding, sweetheart. No, I could feel my legs. I just was 100% convinced that I had a set of crab legs under the blanket. No, I'm not even sort of kidding. To the point, gentlemen, to the point right now, talking to you, even though I know 100% that never happened. I still low-key believe that on some plane of existence, it 100% happened. And I called my husband up to the room, right? And he comes running and he goes, he's like, oh my God, what's wrong? I'm like, come closer. And he's like, what? I said, no close. Like put your mouth next to my, your ear next to my mouth. And so he leans all the way down. And I said, remember earlier how I had regular brown human legs? He's like, yeah. (laughs) I go, well, don't look. 
but right now my legs are crab legs. And he, and he, says, to, he says to me, he goes, he, he laughs and he goes, babe, I just ran up three flights of stairs. You couldn't have told me this while I was downstairs over the phone. Right, right. He goes, he goes, look, he goes, you couldn't have just run downstairs and came and told me this bullshit. And I said, I don't even know if these crab legs have feet. Like, I swear to God, it's a real conversation. I had as an adult human person. All right, moving on, whatever. I like that you were so certain that they were crab legs, but just weren't sure if they had. I don't know. I don't know if I could, what I'm going to jump on. Like, I don't know. And then I got this, like, I got paranoid and thought someone was going to break into my house, heat up all the butter and then eat my thigh meat. But whatever, like, whatever. (laughs) So, so most of the, most of the episode where you're talking about the redeeming qualities of cannabis, uh, (laughs) section of sometimes you go, you can kind of go crazy with it, but I think that was redeeming. I think I think that's true. That's a fantastic story of parties. That's yeah, a yeah. redemption song. Okay, go you ahead. Ever when somebody checks into the treatment facility, ask them if they want crab legs. Um, <laughs> you, you can say this is one of the outcomes of our treatment facility. Um, yeah, like I mean, it is, uh, it is the Lord's work that y'all are doing. A hundred percent. So amazing. What do we you appreciate see it. as the, as is this something that is catching on? Do you see a future uh, where where other states are picking up, uh, starting up facilities like this, using yours as a frame of reference, or, or how is that looking, and how do you predict it to look in the next couple of years? So we we plan on um, in the next. The plan is by like two thousand twenty five, is to have you know, another 33 of these. Uh, oh, wow. The wow. Yeah. yeah. That's the, that's the plan. I mean, he's moving, he, his plan is to move very quickly um, with these, um, you know, especially off seeing how this one's doing and, and seeing mm-hmm. the, the progress in the guys and, you know, really just, you know, seeing people get better. He's extremely excited, excited to get this thing like all over the country and all over the world eventually. Um, yes, yeah. I love it. I love well, it. I think yeah. I think we've seen we've seen some softening uh, culturally. We've seen some people and some things that have changed. One of the things that has changed is that um, there are states who list opiate dependence as a qualifying condition for their medical cannabis programs. Okay. So that was really good to see. One of them being Pennsylvania. I'm trying to get a trying to get a few minutes with the governor. You know, so if the, if the governor of Pennsylvania watches your show. You know, just, um, you know, put in a good word over here yeah. for that. I've, I just texted um, him. I just sent him a text. You did? Even, yeah. I just yeah. Sent him. So, <laughs> you know, look, I think that the biggest resistance that we see is from the recovery community itself. And, yeah. you know, they are the evangelical Christians of, oh, no, they're going to hell. And I always try to say, look, man, 700 million Hindus are not going to hell because you are not a Hindu. That's not that's just not realistic. Right. And so I think, I think that the cannabis laws are changing. The culture is changing. Right. So, um, you know, the fact that my mother's bridge grew and it was like a Tupperware party, like this woman came to bridge and told them all about various kinds of strains and topicals. I love They're all so much. Now. Right. They're I all in it for, so much. Yeah. They're all in it for arthritis and, it, and, and, you know, just like whatever I'm 80 shit hurts when you're 80. And so um, I think that that's um, we're seeing a lot of those like little shifts 
trying to get away from reefer madness, trying to get away from the lies that have been told about this stuff, trying to move into a different idea and a different framework of it. So I look, I hope the heavenly center catches on in other States. Um, you know, a lot of States are of use now. So an individual can make their own decision of why they're using this stuff, whether it's they're using it medicinally, whether they're using it recreationally sleep, whatever their, their issue is, the individual gets to decide. So I hope that, yeah, I mean, I think that that's the plan. The plan is to stick with this, um, to have a really solid program here and then to replicate it in other communities. Well, we love it and we love you guys and we think you are amazing and doing the Lord's work, as Stephen said. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, but thank you both so much. How can people find, follow you, get involved? Um, how can people ask find you the, guys? Ask the young person. I mean, I know yes. I have a... I know I have a, an Instagram, but he's really, yeah. but you know, not only does he look like an underwear model, he also yeah. is really <laughs> swift with the, with the, all that stuff. Yeah. So he, and anybody who wants, if you want to be bored with a, um, you know, like an undergrad lecture about uh, cannabis, you can find me through Nick. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah, Nick, absolutely. how can we find you guys? So um, as far as any information about the Heavenly Center, um, it's just the heavenlycenter.com. Um, we, we are on all social media platforms, um, Instagram, Facebook, um, we are on TikTok. Um, we don't have a bunch of TikToks right now, but as far as getting in touch, if somebody's struggling and needs help, mm -hmm. um, our 800 number is, is on the heavenlycenter.com. It's 855-9-THC now. Um, and you know, they can even meet, reach out to me directly. Um, I'm on Instagram more than, you know, Instagram and TikTok. Uh, my Instagram is Nick Morgan nine eight seven eight, and then my TikTok is Nick Morgan nineteen. Um, all of those platforms, I put a lot of motivational videos, recovery based videos, talking about cannabis and recovery. Um, and again, I can be the direct line of communication to Joe Shrank as well. But do you have any dance videos? I think that's what the people. There's need. a couple on there. There's a couple on there. <laughs> on TikTok, right. but I do a lot of motivational stuff and, and that good stuff. You know. <laughs> All right, perfect. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, yeah. Joe Shrank. Thank you, Nick. Thank Morgan. you. Thanks for reaching. Yeah. Out. Thank you so oh much God. for having us. Yeah, we appreciate you guys so much. Don't hang up thank just you. yet. After we wrap, I want to ask you both a quick question. Thank you so much, Jared, with Comedy Hub. I have been Frankie French. And I'm Stephen Campbell. And we are the nonprofits. We will be back next Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Da -da -da -da. Oh, wait, share, da -da -da -da. share this podcast oh, yeah, share it. with all the people. That's we right. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Fucking nailed it. <laughs>